Last week in the message Bennett Sweat preached, he stated something to the effect that in heaven, our mouths will pour forth an unending stream of thanksgiving. I think the kids, they want to be closer to me, don't you? They miss me. So, I don't think it's too extreme to say that gratitude is an integral part of the Christian life. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul talks about how sinful the human race is. And in describing their sinfulness, he says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Glorifying God and thanksgiving go hand in hand. If you're not thankful, you're not glorifying God. And if you're glorifying God, you're going to have gratitude. We see here in this text that ingratitude then and sinful behavior go hand in hand as well. But we can wonder, how does gratitude and godliness unite? Today, the message title is Gratitude and Your Fight for Godliness. I've had many conversations with people regarding their battle against sin in their lives. And sometimes in talking with them, they speak as though warfare is a sign of ungodliness on their part. And that if the warfare is increasing, that must mean that they are less spiritual than other people. But there's a fatal flaw in that type of thinking. And so when they think that they're less spiritual because the battle has increased, what happens is they tend to then think that they're losing a battle and then they end up just stopping fighting. Now, I think we all know that God does not promise ease in this life. But when temptations come in our lives, whether large or small, they can jolt us. And sometimes they can feel like a torrential storm that, to, that, that threatens to sweep us into the abyss of the ocean. But I think that we forget that the whole of the Christian life is warfare. I'm, I'm very grateful that in my teen years, I was taught this. And one of my favorite passages as a teenager came from 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, and I memorize it in the King James. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Now again, at that age, I was grateful that God taught me that warfare was just a part of the Christian life. But in some ways, I think I understood the concept of spiritual warfare at the same time thinking that as I grew in my faith, the warfare would become easier, not harder. But then I experienced a season of spiritual drought and difficulty in my high school years and then college years. And it was intensely difficult. 
I'm grateful that God gave me endurance. And then after that season, I ended up going, uh, I ended up experiencing kind of like this, this season of, of life and encouragement and grace and joy. And there was spiritual warfare, but I, I've told people before, I kind of felt like Captain America. You know, like any temptation that came is, no! But I think I was dangerously becoming more confident in my ability. And then God allowed me to go through another spiritual season of greater difficulty. And in that season, it, it, there was mental and theological struggles and temptations came on with a vengeance, almost seemingly all of a sudden out of the blue. I wanted out. I had no idea what was going on. I tried various things to fight against it, but I felt like I was always losing the battle. I went to a Christian who was a counselor for six months, and in the end, after all of the counsel, he said to me, I think this is spiritual warfare. That was the conclusion. There were times that I'd be sitting in my children's, my three boys, their bedroom when they were really young, five and under, and I felt like I couldn't get outside of my brain and I'd just sit there and tears would come down my face and I would just say, pray for daddy. Pray for daddy. I had fears that I would leave God. I feared that I'd run away from the faith. And then in the midst of this season, I was meeting with a friend of mine who had been with me through much of it. And he said something that I didn't like. It bothered me. He said, I think you need to praise God for this. And externally, I think I said something like, yeah, you're probably right. But internally, I was thinking, are you kidding me? You have no idea what I'm experiencing internally. You have no idea the level of, of, of temptation and, and discouragement that's coming at me. I, what does that even mean? What does it even mean to praise God for this? Am I to praise God for the temptations? Am I to praise God that I, I feel like walking away from him? Am I to praise God for these types of things? What are you saying? And maybe some of you here in this room would ask that same kind of question, and it's a good question to ask. What do we mean by praising God? But again, I, I just want to reiterate before trying to even answer that, I want to reiterate again that the Christian life is one of warfare. W would you at least nod your heads yes to say, yeah, the Christian life is warfare? But let me just make sure we understand by stating just a couple of brief passages. Galatians 5 says, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you don't do what you want to do. That we have the Apostle Paul also saying of his own spiritual growth, he doesn't just say, well, I'm just going to wait for God to kind of, you know, zap me and then I'll be good. He says, I beat my body into subjection. And he's not talking literally, he's talking spiritually. He's saying, this is what has to take place because this flesh lusts against the spirit. Jesus, when he talks about growth and godliness to, to those who would trust him, he says, we need to take sin so seriously that we'd be able, that we would be willing to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands. That's serious. In our fight against sin, taking serious action, and then in Galatians 6, Paul says, don't grow weary in doing well. Why would Paul say that if people aren't tempted to become weary and give up? 
Have you ever been tempted to, be, to give up? Yeah, raise your hand. And he says, don't grow weary in it because we have that temptation because this life is a battle. It's a warfare and it's not just things out there. It's things inside that weary us. And you could say, what does all this have to do with gratitude? In saying this, you could have a response like I had with my friend, anger or despair. And you could say, okay, so we're just going to fight and be exhausted the rest of our lives. God wants me to be miserable. And that's not the point. What I want to do today is emphasize how our fight against sin and our fight for godliness must include the constant companion of gratitude. Or to word it like the Apostle James, we must learn to count it all joy in our fight for godliness. Now, I imagine I could preach many messages on this, but this morning, I'm only going to highlight a couple of main points and give several passages of Scripture to support them. So today, I want to talk about why we must count it all joy and then how we count it all joy. Why and how. So with that, you can turn your Bibles to James chapter 1. That'll be the first text that we look at. But before I read from this text, let me pray for us. Father, hallowed be your name. Thank you for who you are. That we can glory in our God who is majestic, wondrous, true, faithful, And even in the midst of pain, you are still majestic, true, wondrous. In the midst of prosperity, you remind us you are greater still. Father, I pray that this morning you would strengthen our hearts in you. Strengthen our hearts in you to trust you, to rejoice in you, to repent. Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but we pray for the other churches, even in our own community that are preaching the gospel, that your children would draw nearer and nearer to you. I think of Rothbury Community Church and ask that you would give Pastor James the wisdom as he preaches today, that the people would love and savor the Savior. We also think, Lord, of our missionaries and uh, the Navarretes and their needs in, in Mexico, and, and also even the horns in Bolivia with all the um, unrest that's there in the country. How do they minister to the people in that context? Lord, give them wisdom, give them comfort, give them encouragement. And Lord, even now as we spend time in your word, let us be grateful that we can sit here and we can have Bibles open before us. Teach us your way, O oh Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Amen. So why, why must we count it all joy? Let's look at verses two through four of James one. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Nothing. Now, in verse 2, James uses the word trial. And I think sometimes we can narrowly or too narrowly interpret that word. 
We can think of that word as only applying to external difficulties, like maybe, for example, uh, a lost job or having a child have cancer. And certainly this verse applies to those situations, but the Greek word that's actually used here can be translated in two different ways. The Greek word, depending on the context, could be translated trial or temptation. And I actually think that sometimes it can mean both, trial and temptation. When we think biblically about trials, um, the biblical understanding of a trial is something that, that involves God's purpose in the midst of it. Does God seek to destroy his children? No. He, he always seeks for his children's good. So, so that's why the scriptures say God will try us because we will come forth as gold. He tries us. But he tries us through circumstances that also can be considered tempting circumstances. Like with Joseph, God meant the circumstances for good. Joseph's brothers meant the circumstances for evil. That's the idea that we have with trial and temptation. This word that's in the Greek could mean both. That we go through circumstances and from the world's perspective, from the flesh perspective, from the, 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 the enemies of God's perspective, these are temptations to sin and shipwreck your faith. But God's intent in this is for your good. So count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kind. Or maybe I could word it this way. When we fall into trials that could be external and when we have temptations that rise up as well in the midst of it. It's, it, it's all the same. So James ha- adds trials of various kinds. Now as I think about James's wording here, I get a mental image. I imagine myself walking down a sidewalk in a city that I'm not very familiar with and I go to the wrong part of town. I don't even know I'm there in the wrong part of town, but I realize I'm lost and so I try to turn around and then I end up in an alley somewhere. You know, it's like one of those worst nightmare situations. You walk into the alley and then there's like six guys that they don't really look like they're here to help you. And so you walk, you see those people. And if I, if I was in that kind of scenario, I, um, I would be very nervous um, And when James says trials of various kinds, he's not just saying you have one trial or you're meeting one person in an alley or a little kid in the alley. He says trials of various kinds. So you can have unpaid bills, a child who's sick, someone who's mad at you, work uh, issues, scheduling conflicts, issues within your family, and then you have your own heart and your own mind and how to relate to all of these things, your own sins and your own temptations. And all of these things can be temptations to cause you to walk away from God. And yet James says, when this comes into your life, when all of these maybe even horrors come into your life, our response is to be joy. I declare joy when I meet these trials. Now this statement could make some of you cringe like it did with me, with my friend years ago. 
Is James saying that I should be happy about internal temptations to sin against God? Is James saying that I should be pleased with how other people sin in this world? No. Sin is to be hated. But James says that there can be joy in the midst of hardship. How? I think some people actually skip over words in James in this text. They go straight to joy and they say, be happy. Be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy, be happy, because James says, count it all joy. And, and if you realize something, there's a difference between saying, be happy and count it all joy. There is a difference. There's a word that many people jump over in the text. They jump to joy and they miss count. Count. That word for count is, is an accounting term. So, James is not saying ignore your circumstances. This is what some people do. Let's just sweep it under the rug. I can't even think about it. I'm not even going to look at it. I'm just going to say joy. And James says, no, don't do that. Don't ignore your circumstances. Don't ignore the pain. Instead, he says, count up the circumstances. Look at every single thing that you're faced with. Maybe let me go back to that illustration of walking into the alley. Let's say I go into the the alleyway, and of course there's six scary people looking at me. But let's just imagine that I have a a button that I can push. And as soon as I push that button, the 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 strongest uh, army forces come immediately. Am I as scared anymore of being in the alleyway? Absolutely not. You know, there they are. And I'm like, see you later, guys. Good luck, you know, because I've got this power that's on my side. And what James is doing is he's calling the people to have eyes of faith. And he's saying, you count these things. Look at these things. Because from a worldly perspective, if we only have eyes of this world, we're going to look at these circumstances and say, we're going to count it as despair. Right? I'm going to count it as fear. I'm going to count it as this is bad. And I don't, I'm not going to be here. I, 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 I'm going to die. And yet what James does is he calls you to faith, to actually defy even your own temptations and your own thoughts about it. And he says, you choose to count it joy because there's one stronger. There's a God who makes promises to do things greater than what you can see. We don't ignore the circumstances. Maybe some of you are like me where sometimes you go through harder seasons and I just take time, write it all down. Show this before God. Pray these things. More specifically, James says we can have joy because of three things God is working in the midst of trials. One, God is calling you to cling to him. He says here in the text, it's the trying of faith. Now, Some people, when they hear trying of faith, they interpret this as, in this opportunity, God is giving me the opportunity to prove to him that I'm really good and that I've made it further. That is opposite the meaning of the word faith. Faith means dependence. He's trying your faith, meaning he's trying you to see, will you cling to me? Will you admit your weakness? Will you admit you can't do this? And will you run to my arms? 
Will you jump into my lap, so to speak? He's trying your faith. Will you turn to him or are you going to turn to your means, your way, how you can do stuff? James says, count it all joy because God is trying your faith. He's drawing you closer to him. Secondly, he says, we'll gain endurance for the, with this. You'll grow in perseverance. When you go through the various trials, you'll say to yourself, there's no way I can do this, which is true. And then you go to God and you see how you did it. But it wasn't you, it was God. And when you see that endurance, you end up praising the Lord because that's a pure miracle that you endured. And as you praise the Lord, you grow in your trust and faith in him. And as a result, James also shows us we'll become more mature spiritually. It produces steadfastness. Let it have its full effect so that you may be perfect or mature and whole, lacking in nothing. Now, all of these issues were things that I feared and I have feared in more painful seasons of life. And maybe you've thought this as well. Personally, I thought I was going to give up on the faith, meaning I didn't think I was going to endure. I was going to give up. I thought I was completely backtracking and becoming spiritually immature. I struggled with depending on God because I thought that I had to prove myself to him that I could do it. But in all of this, I needed to hear my friend's counsel to praise God. Count it all joy. Now, notice something very important, by the way. Maybe this is a little bit more of a side note, but James doesn't say, feel the joy well up inside of you and then thank God. That's not what he says. And I love the practicality of that because I can't force my feelings to agree with reality. I just can't. My emotions, though, must be directed by reality. And therefore, as we meditate on what is real, what is true, what is right, and think on these things, and as we thank God for these things, I do believe he changes our hearts. He grows us in maturity and grows us to endure, to be complete, mature. So we are to count it all joy because of the God who is over all things. We're to count it all joy because he draws us closer to him in the midst of this. And so then you can ask, okay, how, how then can I grow in counting it all joy? Now, as I said earlier, or alluded to, we're not just supposed to be a people that have pasty smiles on our faces and say, I have joy, I have joy, I have joy. We're not to ignore the painful circumstances, um, but acknowledge them. Jeremiah is called a weeping prophet. Jesus wept. We went through a series a couple of years ago on godly lament. Biblically speaking, gratitude doesn't mean we ignore pain. Instead, we understand things within their proper place. We sorrow, but not as those who are without hope. Christians can have a godly gratitude in the midst of even facing temptations that come at them. Christians can have a godly gratitude in the midst of their spiritual warfare. But notice what I said, a godly gratitude. I'm not just saying that we should be saying thank you for things. But this goes back to even my sermon a couple of weeks ago. Godly gratitude is God-centered. 
and God-focused. It's that objective gratitude. It's a gratitude that focuses our attention onto him. And we must have our focus on God in the midst of fighting against sin, right? We must have our focus on God if we're going to grow in godliness, if we're going to grow to become more like him. So a gratitude that's godly recognizes God as ultimate and supreme. And how can we grow in counting it all joy? How can we grow in this type of gratitude? I'm going to give you a couple of principles here. And first thing I think to help all of our minds and hearts is this. (laughs) We must recognize that God doesn't need our gratitude. That's an odd thing to say. But I'm going to read from Acts 17.25. I don't have it on the screen here. You can write that down in your notes. Acts 17.25. Paul says this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. And what Paul is telling the people, he's like, don't serve God like you would serve human beings. When you serve human beings, yeah, you might be acknowledging that they are greater or that they have more power than you. But when you serve them, you're giving them something that they need or something that they benefit from. Do you realize God does not grow in receiving benefits? Do you know that? So when you, when you thank God for things and when you praise him, God doesn't go, oh man, that just really like filled my cup today. That's, that's not it with God. If God has needs, then he's no longer God. Gratitude really is more f- for us than it is for him. In the sense that we were made to glory in God. We were made to worship him. We were made to adore him. The outflow of our lives should be, that, and the culmination of our lives really should be grateful worship of God because he truly is worthy of all things. God doesn't need my gratitude. I need him. We need him. And in knowing our neediness for him, then it's the overflow of praise. Now, how do we begin to rightly express this kind of godly gratitude? I think it's we proactively rehearse and praise the Lord for his salvation. We know who God is. He is not like a human being. And then we also, as Christians, would rehearse praise to him for his salvation. When I sit down with people in counseling, one of my biggest pieces of counsel along with prayer is Bible memorization. Psalm 1 tells us that we should be a people who meditate on the word day and night. Um, That word for meditate in the Hebrew means to murmur to yourself. And by the way, from a Hebrew perspective, it's not just murmur in your head. It's actually talking out loud. So if you want an excuse to talk to yourself, just quote, hey, the Bible says I'm supposed to talk to myself. Um, It's to murmur to yourselves the truth over and over and over and over again. Well, Bible memorization for me has been a huge part of my growth in godliness. And, And not just growth in godliness, but in my fight against sin. Psalm 103, which Bennett preached on last week, was was a tremendous passage that God used in more painful, difficult seasons for me. I'd be driving down the road and I'd have these thoughts of despair or thoughts of of temptation in in different sorts. (laughs) 
And then as I'm driving down the road, I would just start declaring, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I just speak the psalm out loud, just to myself even, and to whatever angels are listening. Driving down the road, sitting in your car, being in your workplace, doing the laundry in your living room, wherever you are, whatever it is you're doing, you can rehearse God's truth to yourself in your mind. Oh, by the way, as I'm talking about memorization here, I've never known anyone who has said memorization is easy. Okay, so we're all in the same boat there, right? But we do need to be a people who rehearse constantly the goodness of God in salvation, proactively rehearse through praise. Notice how the psalmist calls himself to praise the Lord in this text. He says, he speaks to his soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why would he say that if his soul wasn't engaged in it? Any of you ever have times where you're like, I just don't feel like praising God. Or I don't know why I'm not feeling like I want to praise God. Well, the Psalms are wonderful in saying, yeah, me too. Or the psalmist will even say, why, why are you so downcast, oh my soul? And then what does he say to his soul? Put your hope in God. Listen, we are just going to praise God right now, soul. That's what we're going to do. And he rehearses the kindnesses of God. This is so important for us to understand, Christians. We must be a people of gratitude if we are going to fight against sin. And I think this is extremely important, maybe even especially in our culture, in our day and age, where we would all, I, I would imagine everybody in this room would admit and agree that Jesus says he calls us to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. Would you nod your head at that? Yep, we agree with that. Unless it deals with my feelings, <laughs> then I agree with everything my feelings say. I will not take up the cross and deny the feelings because if I deny my feelings, then I'm denying who I am. Instead of recognizing there's greater need there's greater need for your soul to be nourished. There's greater need for your emotions to align with reality. There's greater need that you were created to worship God. Take up the cross and be grateful. Take up the cross and thank the Lord. And so the psalmist rehearses the benefits of God in salvation. And I want to just talk a little bit about these benefits here. There's other passages of scripture that relate thanksgiving to some of the benefits that David mentions here in this psalm. He says, who forgives all your iniquities. This is talking about what we refer to, what we refer to as justification, being forgiven of sins and declared righteous. We should thank God for that. That we deserve an eternity of punishment and hell. And yet, here's, here's the first benefit David says. Oh, 
soul, he forgives us. Paul, the apostle, couldn't get over this. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Though he was a blasphemer, Paul... Jesus judged Paul faithful. Did you see that? He judged me faithful. What kind of judge is that? You, he was a persecutor. He blasphemed God. And then Jesus, as the judge, says, you're faithful. How can Paul be judged faithful? It's only because of Jesus Christ. All because of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for sinners in taking the punishment that our sins deserve on the cross. Therefore, Jesus' righteous standing has now become Paul's standing before God. That because Jesus is the faithful one, Jesus says to Paul, now you are too, through faith. And so therefore, Paul even goes on. In this text and says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He even says, he moves to the present tense here, by the way. And what he's saying here, even in this text, is he's like, I I was a horrible sinner. And you know what? I'm still the worst sinner I know. But how did he start all of this in verse 12? I thank him. The knowledge of his sinfulness because of Jesus Christ no longer leads him to despair. The knowledge of his sinfulness in light of Jesus Christ leads him to gratitude. If we're to grow in our fight against sin, we need to be a people who are rehearsing the saving blessings of God and thank God for these things. So Christian, when was the last time that you sat back and reveled in the truths? When when was the last time that you told your soul, we're blessing God now? We're praising God right now. This is following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ himself. I talked about this two weeks ago. You know, when Jesus takes the cup, which represents his sacrifice and his death on the cross, Jesus thanks the Father and then gives it to the disciples and says, drink from it, all of you. Because of what he was accomplishing, what he was going to accomplish, a new covenant in his blood in which we can have complete forgiveness. By the way, the forgiveness, it's not just that God wipes our slate clean and says, okay, there's no more record of sin. It's the addition of Jesus's righteousness on our behalf that then he says, you're faithful too. Just like he declares that to Paul, he declares that to you. And Jesus thanks the father of what he is going to accomplish. He praises him for it. Hey, if we are to be disciples of Jesus and follow in Jesus's steps, do you think we should thank the father for the salvation that Jesus has given us? Yes, he thanks him. And so then Paul will even go on in Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints and light. Giving thanks. We, we think about these words. Do you earn an inheritance? 
No, you don't earn an inheritance. And he, and he even adds to the point, he qualified you to receive the inheritance. So it's something you don't, you don't earn. And Paul makes sure we know we didn't earn it. He qualified you through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that purchased it. So, so Paul says, oh, just, just meditate on this. Think about this. Think about this in your own life and your fight against sin and the struggles and trials that you face in a given day. What is our inheritance that we're going to receive someday, Christians? Paul, Paul will let his mind go off in Romans chapter 8 and he'll say the trials of this life are not worth comparing to the glories that are going to be revealed to us someday. And I know for some of you in this room, you're saying, I just want the trials to be done. And praise the Lord, he weeps with us and stores our tears in a bottle. But someday when we get to eternity's shore, God's going to show us even the answer to our tears. And we will agree with Paul. The trials aren't worth comparing to these glories. There's a wondrous inheritance that we will receive. Fight against sin. Grow in godliness because of what God is giving you and will give you. These are a few of the benefits. And in meditating on these glorious few, uh, we can be strengthened in hope in our daily life to trust the Lord. But I want to bring up one other, another passage here. Paul writes in Colossians 3, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This leads me to one other point with how to give thanks. Involve one another in the local church. Actually, that whole Colossians 3 passage is written to the plural church community of Colossae. You are all called in one body to give thanks, to sing with gratitude, to praise the Lord with gratitude. The church at Colossae was together to be thankful. We need one another to help each other to count it all joy. We need to be open and transparent with other people to help us to count and then to be spurred on with joy. We need to, when we gather together on a Sunday morning, see, sometimes some people just think about gathering at a church is just about them. Did you, feel, did you individually feel encouraged or not today? And that's, that's not the big idea. It's believers coming together with different things that have happened in their week, facing different things. And Paul says to the Colossians, sing, but don't just sing, sing with gratitude. And one of the reasons why I, you may notice this on Sundays, why I turn around and look at faces. It's not because I'm counting, okay? It's because the Bible tells us that we're to sing to each other. 
And we're to sing with thankfulness that maybe as I turn and I look at different faces that I could encourage you to sing more. And you can encourage me by me looking at you singing. That we're saying, God is worthy to be praised today. He's worthy to be praised this week. He's worthy to be praised all the time. We need to be a people who all of us sing, no matter how tone deaf we are. And we need to be a people who sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. Even that gratitude, again, can be a defiance against the brokenness of this world and a trust in the God who is over all. So if we're going to count it all joy, we need to involve the local church community. As we look through all of these things, I think we, we can start to see that gratitude recognizes God's ability and our inability. Or if I can say God's strength and our weakness. It's oftentimes, I think, the lesson that God is teaching us when we say, when we see even in James, that he's trying our faith, meaning he's trying us so that we lean less on ourselves and less on the things around us and more on him. I'm weak, he's strong. And I think one passage that really puts all of this together, wraps it up, beautifully is 2 Corinthians 12. And 2 Corinthians 12 shows us that we're to praise the Lord in our, in our weakness. And unfortunately, I forgot to put that verse up here on the slide, so I'm going to read it to you. It's 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. And he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's conclusion is, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul prays, take this thorn away. You may have heard a lot of different interpretations on that passage. Some people say, oh, the thorn is a person. Oh, the thorn is a physical ailment. Oh, the thorn is, and there's all these different guesses over what this is. Honestly, they're all guesses. And I think it's on purpose because our thorn could be anything. Paul prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. He even acknowledges that the thorn is from Satan, that the thorn is harassing him. He's counting it, isn't he? This is what it is. But by God's grace, he lifts his eyes higher to God. And he trusts and knows and believes God has a higher purpose and point in all of this. And it's to keep Paul from becoming conceited. And it's to, it's to empower Paul to acknowledge, I'm weak. And I will tell everybody, I am weak. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that when people see my life, they will say the only way Paul is living is because of the grace of God working through him. God is working in his weakness. And that's what God intends for us. Listen, when we face trials of various kinds, I know at least for me, Often, I can say, all right, God, what do I have to do? 
And then I try to work up and muster up all of this strength. And God consistently says, I, I want you to trust me. I want you to depend on me. I want you to know that I'm stronger. No, 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 no. I, I know, I know, I know. But let me just help out. And it's always worse. I always have a tendency to destroy things. And then I begin to learn more and more, no, God, you are worthy to be trusted. And I can be thankful. I can be thankful that I'm weak. I can boast in my weakness. And in doing that, in actually praising God and thanking him, I actually find God gracing me with being able to kill sin and grow in godliness. That's what Paul says as he goes into Ephesians 5 he says but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving and if you're here today and you just say, yeah, but, you know, okay, I'm motivated. Thank you. I want, I want to be a grateful person, but tomorrow I know, I know that I'm just going to want to give up. I'm just very weak, Pastor Timothy. I'm really weak. And for some of you, you might say, this whole talk about being grateful in the midst of trials, that's for the strong people spiritually. One of the, I think, encouraging, one of the, one of the most encouraging chapters in the Bible to me is Romans 7, where Paul talks about his own battle against sin. And Paul says this, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's just, he's just gotten done saying that the things he wants to do, he doesn't do, and the things he doesn't want to do, that's what he does. He delineates even between his flesh and, and this, this uh, new man. But he has this battle with sin. And so if judged by the law, he says, I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched man if I'm judged by the law. But you know what the next verse says? Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. What he does, instead of going, oh, wretched man, I just did it again. I, oh, he says, I deserve wrath, and I've not been given it. This is now an opportunity to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that he is more powerful than my weakness and my sin. Praise the Lord for his grace and his mercy. Thanks be to God. Gratitude and the Christian life, our fight against sin, our growth and godliness go hand in hand. We need these. Therefore, by the Lord's grace, count it all joy and express gratitude because God has reconciled you to himself. He's drawing you closer to him. He promises to strengthen you each day, whether you see it or not or feel it or not. Praise God for all of his benefits. Praise God he's given many of us the ability to respond with gratitude. Count it all joy in your fight for godliness. And even in a moment when we sing, maybe there's people who are having a harder time counting it all joy today. And you can bless them by singing louder and encouraging them with thankfulness to count it all joy.
because of our good and gracious God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, for your mercy and your love, your power. And Father, I don't understand why, in many ways, why you have ordained for things to happen the way they have. But I thank you that we can trust you. I thank you for Christ who has endured great suffering on our behalf, who endured the wrath of myriads of sinners, your wrath for myriads of sinners on himself, on the cross. And therefore, Lord, I pray that by your spirit, you would empower us to trust and rest in you, the one who has given us salvation. And because you've given us salvation, Father, I pray that we would be a people who with zeal seek to live it out, to live in godly ways, to manifest your glory in how we think, in how we act, in how we talk. Let us be a people now, now, who speak with streams of gratitude coming out of our mouths. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen.